Welcome to Main Street Politics. My name is Daniel Bonham. Here we are today. We've got our special guest, Greg Smith, who is the elder statesman in the House right now, serving in his now 10th term. That's correct. Wow. Started when he was 29. Ran for office when I was 29, okay. elected when I was 30. See, sometimes the internet steers us wrong. Yeah. We do a lot of research here, okay. Wikipedia, repgregsmith.com, to get some background information on our guest today. I mean, that's still got to be one of the youngest members. I, I don't think it's the youngest. There was a gentleman by the name of Michael Payne out of Baker City who was, I believe, 23 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, he was a legislative aide to then Representative Mike Nelson. When Mike stepped down, uh, the legislative aide ran for office ended up winning and only serving a single term. But yeah, I think he was the youngest. So where were you born? Born in Portland, graduated from Barlow High School, which was in the Mount Hood Conference, and uh, we'd play the Dallas in football. From there, I went to Eastern Oregon University, wanting to play football. Oh, really? Yeah, but I uh, showed up, realized I was too small, too slow. From there, that dream went away, but then realized I loved Eastern Oregon. Yeah, uh, My mom was from LaGrande and her family. It was a natural fit. From there, I went back to Portland State, worked on my master's in business, and this job opened up in Hepner for a little economic development position. Paid $2,000 a month. I applied. <laughs> I was the second choice. The first choice turned it down. Yeah. They got hired, and next thing you know, I'm living in Hepner. So were you and Sherry together at that point? Uh, we came together about six years after that. Okay. Yep. So she's from out there? Uh, she's from Oregon. That is correct. Okay. Yep. Five yep. children? Five children. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm the youngest of six. So just as you stare across at me during this podcast, look at what you're missing out on. There you go. This <laughs> there is, you go. This is what the next one. <laughs> count your blessings. Yeah. You guys stopped at five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how fantastic. And your youngest is in high school now? Uh, yep, sophomore in high school. My oldest is in law school working on his law degree and MBA at Oregon. Then my next son graduated from Oregon State with a master's degree in thermodynamics, which I have no idea what that does. <laughs> yeah. but, he got, but he got a job out of school, so uh, that was good. So he's up in Seattle working. Then my next son, he's a really interesting young man. He would be great to have on your podcast very aggressive wrestler when he was in high school. Right. And now what he wants to do for a career is take care of the most vulnerable of all Oregonians. He works in adult assisted care, yeah. taking care of adult males who uh, can't take care of themselves. And that's what his passion is. And I admire him for that. Yeah. Then uh, my fourth son is our special project. Uh, he's at Oregon State. He's working his way through. Uh, he'll probably be on the six, seven, eight year plan, but uh, he'll get through eventually. And then we have our daughter. I mean, the political savviness of having kids from both U of O and LSU. Right, right. Yeah, that was by design. <laughs> <laughs> the very, yeah, nonpartisan move to make sure that you covered all your bases there with you higher know. education. So the one thing that I find absolutely humorous, though, I have a daughter that's six foot tall, and your daughter is not. Um, that not. tall. <laughs> not. And yet her boyfriend is what, 6'10? I mean, he's 6'11. 6'11. 6'11 and still growing. And I only bring it up to say that because my daughter is like, why do these short girls take the tall men? Right. Like, I need a tall, like, I need this to happen for me. No, by getting, and all of my kids are uh, short. It's funny when he's in a family picture with us because you've got all of us short people and then this giant yeah. standing next to us. So how many people out there do you think know that you were an Eagle Scout? I don't know. 
hopefully a lot. I'm proud of that. You should be. When I meet the kids that spend the time and put forth the hours and the dedication to, to make that happen, it is a fantastic achievement. Took I think a lot, it, it took a lot of work. and it, I got it, or I earned it, excuse me, two weeks after my 14th birthday. I, I met every deadline you had to meet for rank advancement. I just love that program. Yeah. So, and we're still involved helping the scouts out periodically. I was reading again, one of your personal profiles was, you know, if you can't find me at work, I'm at a ball field or at a, a Boy Scout yeah. event. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So one of the things that being so new to this process, the folks that have been around have been so generous to me with their time, but it's the perspective. Like, I can't get enough of it. I, I'm fascinated to hear from you what the legislature was like in 2001 versus what it's like today, what it's looked like in between. What has really impressed you with the changes of the building and the dynamics? Yeah, and there there have been tremendous changes. So when I came in in 2001, the very first thing that occurred was an opening prayer. Every day we started floor session with opening prayer, and each member would take their turn doing that. And if it wasn't an opening prayer, there was definitely a message of spirituality. For example, my oldest son came and recited the Beatitudes and then offered a prayer. Yeah. Today, I'm not sure that's what's occurring any longer. I think, you know, that's the most obvious change right there. The second is Republicans, though, we weren't all that nice to the Democrats when we were in control. I remember us cutting off debate, moving the previous question, holding floor sessions on weekends. I remember serving till three in the morning in this building multiple times. And so, you know, we weren't always as pleasant as uh, <laughs> as some people might think. But, you know, those shenanigans still go on today. Both yeah. sides do that. Other than that, the changes haven't been dramatic. I, I have seen changes in the budget. Continues to grow. Yeah. You know, at some point in time, we as a legislature are going to have to ask ourselves, what level of service do we really want and how are we going to pay for it? You can't have everything unless you're willing to write a check for it. And right now there's a huge disconnect on that issue. Which brings me to one of the things that I just find fascinating about you, but one that I just I truly appreciate about you and the perspective that you bring to our caucus. If I had to label you politically you're socially conservative, and you're fiscally liberal. Like, you're okay solving a problem of societies with more revenue so long as we're solving the problem. I hate waste. Correct. Okay. I do, right. I cannot stand when taxpayer money is wasted, but I don't mind investing where I think there's a positive return. I'm not sure government is all bad. And I think there's opportunities for the private sector and the public sector to come together. And sometimes that doesn't always fit right yeah. with the caucus. Yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, I've gone back and I'm, I just finished reading a book about Reagan and, you know, who was a New Deal Democrat growing up and then, right. you know, became governor over a series of events, but he had represent union interests and when he was an actor. And fascinating to me that we, as a society today, kind of look to him as the great conservative. Right. And yet the first thing he did when he was governor was he raised taxes because there were some social programs that he wanted to stabilize with funding. That's correct. And I think truly across Oregon, that message probably appeals to a broader audience than simply we don't want to grow government. 
we want to be fiscally conservative at all times, which sometimes can be a dominant voice within our modern Republican movement. Right, right. No, most definitely. I, I remember as a young kid reading Tip O'Neill's book. Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of, of the House in Congress. You know, he and Ronald Reagan used to come together, have late-night meetings, discuss the issues. In the morning, they'd go back to their respective groups, share what they had reached as an agreement. Compromise was the name of the game. President Reagan was a model for me on how do you compromise in politics. So the other thing I bet not a lot of people realize, and I've had, so far, I've had some of the hardest working people in this building. I've had Mike McClain on as a guest, Cliff Bentz on as a guest, and rookie Shelly Bossard Davis on as a guest. But she's these are a, people. Yeah, but she's a hard worker. Right? Working right. hard. Now, the work you put in, because you serve on nine committees, most of them budget committees. Money committees. Money money committees. Yeah, if yeah. you count revenue and then, yeah. but the subcommittees that you sit on. We had a conversation having been assigned to just my first budget committee about how long it took for you to feel like you truly understood the budget process and to the point at which you felt effective in doing the job on a budget committee. Are you okay sharing that with some folks? Oh, you bet. You bet. I'll tell you what, the first probably four years, I was a horrible legislator. I didn't trust my staff, and that includes legislative fiscal. I was convinced that there was secret money sitting around in secret pots. It took me time to realize that's not the case. And then on top of that, you know, when you, in ways and means, there's budget language, it takes time to learn it. It's almost like learning a foreign language. That took a period of time as well. It probably wasn't until my fourth term that I really felt like I knew the budget. Mm. Um, today, it's secondhand. And I know those key things to be looking at, but all of that came because people before me with much more skill than myself, Susan Morgan comes to mind. Uh, She now works for Associated Oregon Counties, but she was a leader in the state budget. I had a chance to learn from some of the best. Yeah. So as you're looking for waste, what does that process look like? Yeah, that's that's interesting. There's a, a million little indicators that you have to cue in on. Let me just give you one example. Yeah. I'll give you two examples. One is when you talk to a state agency, you want to know how long their cash flow can last. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Agencies will bank money, mm-hmm. and that's okay because at some point, you know, they may need it to, to serve over a period of time. But when, they're, when those reserves get into the six-month, nine-month, 12 months, 18 months, two years, uh, that's excessive. And it means they're over collecting from the taxpayers of Oregon. Right. Another is when they don't fill employee positions. Yeah. And so, for example, in the Department of Revenue, this time around, we're, we're going to be pulling uh, positions out of their budget because at one point they had 110 vacant positions that they were not filling. Well, that's money that could be put to other purposes. Right. And so those are just examples of what you look for. But it takes time to know how to cue in on those on those items. So, and this wasn't a question I had prepared, but as we're sitting here talking, it just, the recent process you went through negotiating with student success and the commercial activity tax, and I think about process, mm-hmm. and I think about at least what it feels like for me. And I only served, served in the short session last year, and this is my first long session. But the difference even between being a member of a 25 
Republican caucus, member caucus, and a 22, and the difference between how I feel treated in this building and how I feel my voice is treated in this building is significantly different from last year to this year. Think about in that negotiation, it does feel to me we're not allowed to make what I would consider a bad bill better. We're not allowed to shift the policy to something that could be more inclusive. We're not allowed right now, and I don't know why, and this doesn't make sense to me. It's part of the reason why you've served for much longer than I have, so I just appreciate your perspective on this, but what's stopping us from still building consensus? just watched specifically uh, Senate Bill 1008 was in judiciary today. Some amendments were moved that I think could have gotten broad consensus on that bill and instead locked down party line votes, yes and no on the amendment, and then locked down party line votes in the opposite direction to move the bill to the floor. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's a real observation. The only time I've seen it instituted the way it's being instituted this session was in 2005 when Republicans had 35 in the House and Republicans controlled the Senate as well. It's a different session. Obviously, the majority party in many situations does not need my vote or your vote, and that's challenging. On the student success work, there was opportunity to provide input if you were part of the team. And I think a lot of people became frustrated because they weren't part of the team. And and then they were going to be asked to carry some really heavy issues. And that's challenging. It's it's difficult to ask people to vote yes on a piece of legislation if they weren't part of crafting it. And especially to have to go back to their district. I think for many who weren't part of that conversation, they felt left out. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share with you, I, I really, really worked hard to try to be a yes vote. For me, in the end, the reason I voted no, the business and labor folks sat down with leadership and said, we understand that we need to raise this revenue. Let us write the language. Right. Let us come up with how we will pay for investments in education. And to me, that seemed very rational. That seemed like a really smart approach, right? But we didn't we didn't accept that offer, and as a result, I just couldn't support the bill. And I think that's uh, one of the curiosities I have. And I always think about this job in the context of how do I go back to people that aren't here on a daily basis and explain this to them. I wish we had the conversation around that of we need two billion dollars for schools. Let's get everybody that has an interest in this to the table and let's figure out what the ideas are. Well, and let's play through that a little further. Let's let's take yourself as an example. Yeah. You have much more experience in education than I do because of your background. The only reason I was placed on that committee was because of my background in revenue. Right. While revenue was a key piece of the legislation, the real conversation was on how are we going to enhance graduation rates? Well, other than being a dad, uh I don't know how schools operate. And so I really think we missed out on getting the best perspectives on that committee, particularly because of its makeup. I'll push back on that just a little bit because I think the perspective of just a dad sometimes is 
very mm-hmm. valuable, or just a mom, or just somebody that definitely uh, just a mom. I, I yeah. would never say just a mom, but right, yeah, yeah I'm just a dad. So <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you're probably showing your wisdom so. uh, beyond mine in <laughs> saying that. We talk about with everybody that's come in here, you know, the value of staff. And I've seen, you know, Phil that worked for you before and now Nicole working for you now. You mentioned early on in your first few years not trusting, you know, some of the building staff. But from what I've seen, your staff has been extremely talented. And I know your wife works with you as well. So you've got... When I started in 2001, my wife actually was down here as my legislative director. Obviously, I think she did a phenomenal job. But the demands of family just didn't make it practical right. for her to take on such a heavy load. For a period of time, a long period of time, Phil worked for us and he did a phenomenal job. But I'll share this with you. This lady right here, Nicole, is unreal good. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know how to describe it. She does a phenomenal job. And the one thing that I'm a firm believer in is as a legislator is only as good as their staff uh, when Phil was leaving, I was really scratching my head saying, what am I going to do? Yeah. I was able to coerce and lie and control <laughs> her into going to work for me. So, Nicole, thanks for working for me. No, So, in the room, <laughs> you know, two people that are sitting in this room with Representative Smith and I are Nicole Crane, his chief of staff, and Dylan Amo, who serves in this capacity today as the producer of this wonderful podcast. But Nicole helped me hire Dylan. Oh, she was in the room. We sat here in this very room and went through some resumes. And this is where we interviewed Dylan. And it was with her feedback that we made this wonderful decision. And again, I will echo your sentiments. Staff has made all the difference in the world in terms of my ability to be effective here. We'll shout out to the staff because it's it really is such a key component to trying to navigate this building. It is. So Cliff. And I, you know, when I first got on, again, the folks that came before me have been so generous with their time, investing in me and and sharing some tidbits of wisdom. Cliff's comments were that he decided that he would take a deep dive on water, and he would know more about water than anybody else, and thus he would serve a function within the caucus that if anybody had a question about that particular topic, he would be the expert. If you've got a new rookie that you're talking to and saying, here's how you're going to be successful, is it take a deep dive on policy matters? Is it build relationships? Is it all the above? You know, how, how do you approach talking to the new people about trying to be effective? One of the things I, I learned, and it was probably in 2009 when I really finally learned, the, learned this lesson, everyone's down here for the most part trying to do their best. When you build relationships it's amazing what you can get accomplished. One of my goals has been since 2009 is to move to the middle. Whenever there's a challenge, I always have this little thought in my head of how do I move to the middle? That doesn't mean I have to compromise. It doesn't mean I have to give. It doesn't mean I have, you know, turn my values upside down. But is there a way to where we can both win in a situation? You know, Dr. Uh, Stephen Covey wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. There's several uh, habits that, that I really, really try to institute in my life. The first one, seek first to understand before looking at people understand you. Really listen to what people are saying. The second, begin with the end in mind. For me, in session, I'm thinking about June. And so while many legislators are thinking about activities in March or April. To me, it's all about how is this going to play out in June. 
And part of that comes with experience because I know what major decisions right. are coming. Yeah. And I want to make sure I'm in the best possible position for my district, for my caucus, for folks I believe in to be able to serve when we get to that point. And then the final attribute is being proactive. One of the things I've seen in this building in the Capitol is those legislators that are proactive do much, much more work for their constituents than those that are always reacting. I think those are some of the lessons I've learned. Yeah, and it's one of the things Mike McLean, who was our first guest on the podcast, he talked about the rhythm of session. Yes. And he talked about how much was triggered by that revenue forecast on May 15th that we just experienced. And again, to hear what you just said (laughs) and to understand the words that came out of your mouth is one thing. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the moment hopefully someday where it actually sinks in. And I'm like, oh, that's oh, what, you're phenomenal. That's I, what Greg I, was talking about. I, I'm telling you, I wish I could be you. In my first term, uh, I was a horrible legislator. <laughs> you do a phenomenal job. Your future is so bright. You're going to be a leader of this caucus in the future. I'll be watching you. These are the things we edit out. Oh, <laughs> Dylan will come back and say, Representative Bond will be too embarrassed by that. We'll cut that out. Well, I'm, I'm just sharing. That's genuine. Because you're charismatic, you're good-looking, you're smart, you're rational. And that's, you know, one of the things I really admired about Mike in that position, other than being good-looking, he had all those attributes as well. He's an an ugly guy. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, you put him in the right room with the right people and he's going to win him over. One of the things I want to build as a common theme is who should be in this building and you having started at such a young age and had a young family mm-hmm. and I can only imagine you know what stress that could have potentially brought to your marriage and to home life and yet yes. you were here and you did and uh, I also heard a story too about um, a young legislator in this building that had some kids that were throwing some paper airplanes off of a balcony in front of the governor's office that got pulled out of committee. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. It's it's one of many in this building. You know, when you have uh, four rambunctious young men from Eastern Oregon, this building is a playground. We have stories of the state police coming to remind me that it is against the law for them to trap squirrels out in the (laughs) park area. And when I say trap, I didn't say attempt to trap, catch. Catch. They were quite capable of that. Throwing uh, paper airplanes off the balcony by the governor's office, you know, down into the rotunda area. And I think my favorite, and I think it representatives, it occurred right about outside your office Two of my boys got into a wrestling match in their suits in the hall uh, when one of them uh, smacked the head of the other, and it was on. (laughs) And so next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call saying, would you come get these two monsters out of the hallway? But I'm pleased to share with you, we've all matured, <laughs> and and the wrestling matches only occur on Thanksgiving. But that's, but again, like you were, you were neck deep in parenting. I was, and I there was. you were learning to do the job, because I think a lot of people start to talk themselves out of this job. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot more people at home that could do this that would be wonderful at it, that come up with reasons why they can't. I guess part of the reason why I want to engage in these conversations is to remind people that we're just ordinary, normal, yeah, we're ordinary folks, everyday Oregonians that just happen to be interested at the right time and and stepped up to serve. You're exactly right. You know, I don't know how long I'll continue to serve. 
the folks at home will probably determine that. But one of the things that my wife and I and our kids do, and we still do this, is every two years we get together and we say, do we want to run for office again? We understand what it takes. Do we support each other in this effort? Uh, so far, the answer has been yes. What's one thing that people back home listening or on the road listening would hear from you that they would be shocked to know about Representative Smith? I have huge social anxieties, huge social anxiety, and I almost go into a cocoon when I'm put in large groups of people, which people would never guess that. No kidding. Because I'm able to come out of that when I have to. Absolutely. But it's a challenge for me. So that would be one. And I don't think people really realize how difficult it is for me. Look at the face I'm making. Like, I'm shocked to hear that. Yeah, now, that said, I always like to come up with my own answer. <laughs> sure. I, I, I will submit to you that I don't believe anybody sitting at home listening would think, I bet you Rep. Smith has a massive rubber band ball in his desk on the floor ready for a rubber band war. Oh yeah, you're you're going to be getting shot here in uh <laughs> in about 2 weeks. <laughs> once once my bills pass the you know the floor and and there's no uh, repercussion, the rubber bands come out. <laughs> yeah, it actually gets into a pretty good time. I just, it is fun to remind people that as hard as we work, there's a little bit of entertainment there, there that is. takes place and we do get a chance to just be ourselves. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And then is there a question that I didn't ask that I should have? Bonham didn't ask me this. Why did you run for office? Yes. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. Why yeah, did no, you it's run? Fair. So I was always interested in this. I grew up, I think, the first time I ever ran for office was sixth grade. Yeah. And I lost. Yeah. And I ran again in seventh, eighth, ninth you know, sophomore, junior year, and I won every year, and I was class president for a few of those years. And then my senior year, I ran for ASB and lost. Yeah. And I lost to, uh, you know, someone that put forward a very emotional speech <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything they could actually accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, but they overwhelmed the crowd. And again, a very likable person. She was one of my good friends. Uh, it, honestly, I probably, you know, I might have even voted for her. I don't remember. Right. Um, but uh, then in college, I, I kind of lost the desire. I remember it first came up. I was a freshman at Linfield, and they're like, hey, who wants to be our senator for our dorm or whatever? And I was like, oh, I have zero interest in this whatsoever. I just want to get through school, and I want to learn. But I always had kind of that eye towards what's going on nationally, what's going on with the state, who who's making policy, what are they deciding for us? And then kind of the first hint that I might want to get back into this was when I was with Evergreen Airlines. And I was lobbying in D.C. on behalf of some of the contracts we had. And we got into some litigation, too, with the post office. So we had to go build a coalition of congressional delegates that had their fingers on the appropriations that could then put some pressure right. on the Postal Service to come and see things our way. And then when my wife and I bought our small business, uh, we owned a wood stove and fireplace shop. There were some wood smoke issues that we came and advocated for here in Salem, and then as part of a government affairs team, we went back to D.C. And again, just that window into this, I thought, you know, someday if I had the chance, and the challenge was trying to build a resume for it. Right, right. I mean, I'm a small business owner. I had kids. Right. Right. Uh, we were actively engaged with the Booster Club. A buddy of mine ran for city council. He and the uh, mayor put me on the budget committee. And, and again, I got a yeah. window into that. And so I was trying to convince him to run for office, and I could be his chief of staff. 
Like Got I never it. wanted to be the person Got you know, on the billboard. Right. I, I always just wanted to do the work. And well, then, and, and you also had a strong representative. And it's I a mean, big part of it. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. When you had John Huffman and Greg Walden as your, you know, representatives that you were looking towards, uh, right? On the, you know, why would you run against either one of them? I mean, right. They're both fantastic, and they do a wonderful job representing the community. And and I didn't feel the need. Right. That was a big part of it. It right. really was. Yeah. Then when I read the article that John was moving on, yeah, it's perfect timing. I called my buddy. Yeah. Said, "Hey, are you going to do this?" And I don't remember the ages of his daughters. Eight and six, I think, is what, where they were. And he's like, I can't do it. Terrible time for me to leave home. You know, he just threw back at me. You should do it. So I talked to my wife, talked to my kids, and they were like, you know, you would you would do well. You, yeah. you really enjoy this. You're excited about it. You've got the energy and the passion for it. So go do it. So, Well, that's, I'll tell you what, uh, your district is blessed for that. You've done a fabulous job, and that's a neat story. That's a really neat story. Yeah, I think about when my kids were down here with me. The first four terms, yeah, first four terms, uh, they were down here with me, and we were living in a trailer. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, in the rain <laughs> with four boys, yeah, uh, that was kind of miserable at times. But then you start looking back on it, there's a lot of good memories. I, You know, both my kids grew up in our business. Yeah. And neither one of them have an interest in the business. But I think one of the lessons they learned growing up in the back of the shop was how to solve problems. Right. And so I've been telling my kids, like, I don't know if you have an interest in politics, but you're problem solvers. Right. Like, the world needs problem solvers. Uh, keep this in the back of your mind. Don't ever cross this off the potential things you could do. And, of course, neither one of them necessarily have an interest. But that's what I keep trying to tell people back home is if you like to solve problems, if you're open-minded and aren't, aren't so stuck in your ways that you can't hear another perspective and engage in conversation, this job could be one for you, too. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to visit with you and uh, share a few thoughts. Yeah. No, and I just – you've been very – kind in your compliments to me and I want to return the favor you being next door office wise serving on general government with me serving in the caucus with me I have so valued the perspective that you bring and there's been a couple times where you've made comments to me about feeling like an outsider with certain perspectives in our caucus and yet I can't express to you enough how glad I am that you're there because Thank we you. talk about policy making. And if you find everybody that only believes in the same thing that you believe in, you're not going to come up with the best policy because you're going to be stuck in your own box. And so having a few of us that think different than the others, I think just raises our game and makes us better lawmakers and more considerate as to what is the best path forward to help serve our neighbors. You're gracious. Yeah. Take care, my friend. Thank you, Greg. And thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street Politics. Remember, if you need to get a hold of us here in the office, 503-986-1459, or our district office is 541-719-8745.